This is Elizabeth Thicken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. I am first going to talk about the timeline of the future, briefly, and then we will look at the king of the millennium, and then we will consider that uh, page that describes a summary of the millennial kingdom. So, it's a very easy beginning. On the screen in front of you, look, the first square says present day. So that's really, there's a little square. That's where we are, right here today, now, the present day. And in the future, the next thing on the horizon, based on my understanding of scripture, this is what is taught at Shepherd's Church, and we're not the only church. This is not some crazy idea, and people have believed this since Jesus talked about it, and Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The next thing on the horizon is rapture, and there is a purple arrow going up. So Jesus will be coming in the clouds, not coming to the earth all the way and putting his feet on the ground, but coming in the clouds, we will meet him in the clouds, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those of us who are alive, if we are the ones who are still alive, we will uh, be uh, rising up to the clouds with him, and uh, we will go through the final process of sanctification, judgment, beam a seat, and glorification. We will get our glorified bodies and spend time in heaven with Jesus. And you see on the screen, tribulation in that brown square, seven years. I'm going to enlarge that square just to remind, uh, not talk thoroughly through this, but you still see rapture is before tribulation. That's pre-trib rapture. And tribulation is often looked at as the first three and a half years, the midpoint, the second three and a half years. The midpoint is horrible when the Antichrist puts himself on the throne in Jerusalem, on the temple, not the temple that I have on display before you, but the temple that is the, the Jews are waiting to build right now. They've got all the pieces. They are ready to build the third temple um, on Mount Moriah, on Mount Zion, on the, the Mount where that dome, gold dome is right now. That's where they want to build the temple. That's the temple that the Antichrist will seat himself in, and that's the abomination of desolation. And then the second half of the tribulation, that next three and a half years is horrible, worse than the first half. It's all bad. And then there's a period of 75 days. A lot of things are happening there. And um, then, where's Armageddon? Um, well, the yellow part says Jesus is king, so he has returned, but let me get to the big picture. I've condensed that yellow section, and the big yellow arrow coming down is Jesus riding on the white horse from heaven, coming to conquer and defeat all of his enemies at Armageddon. He takes over the earth. He is the one world ruler that the earth needs, and we who will be with him in our glorified bodies will return to earth, and then the millennial kingdom begins, the 1,000 years of Jesus' reign as king on earth and he is reigning from the millennial temple and that's the one that I have 
created <laughs> uh, from Ezekiel's description of the millennial temple. And I usually have this on display when I teach Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, and we get to the, that temple then. So Jesus is ruling as king from Jerusalem. He is ruling on earth, and we, his saints and our glorified bodies, are serving and ministering to the mortals who are alive. And they, uh, anyone who enters the millennial kingdom will enter as a believer. That's as a person who is saved, who is in Christ, who believes and submits to Jesus, and uh, then babies are born and they're born with sin natures just like you were and they need to get saved. They need to yield their lives to Jesus as their savior. So we'll come back to that in a little while. After the millennial kingdom, this red section is the great rebellion, final rebellion of Satan because he's been locked up for a thousand years and then he's released. And there are people who join his forces, I mean, mortals who have lived through the millennial kingdom, who have not yielded to Jesus, will fight against Jesus, but it's going to be a very short battle because they don't win. And then the great, great white throne judgment happens and all unbelievers are judged during that great white throne judgment. And then the new heavens, new earth are created, new Jerusalem descends, and we call that the eternal state. So that's a flava of the future to come. I didn't give you a handout with this chart. I could send you these charts if you want a copy of it. I'm going to put this chart up again later, but I'm going to move forward now and just look at the kingdom, the territory of Israel, and all those lines are showing the extent of Solomon's fame. So when Solomon was king of Israel, people knew about him and his fame, his reputation, the glory of Israel spread beyond Israel. On the west is the Mediterranean Sea, the big blue section. And um, Israel fits between that white wording of Phoenicia and Philistia. So if you just think of Israel, it's, it's a really small bit of this map. I'm going to change the slide and we're going to zoom in to Israel. And we still have the Mediterranean Sea on the west. I'm just... <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm looking this way, y'all, it's behind me, east, west, I think I've got my directions all in the right situation. Israel is easy to kind of get your mind around by looking at the large blue Dead Sea in the southern area, and then there's a little bitty, little bitty blue circle, that's the Sea of Galilee in the northern area. So today's Israel, just think of it in that, I mean, it's a little bit larger territory than that, but it will help you see where basically Israel is. And when you go and visit Israel, that's pretty much where you're traveling between the Sea of Galilee a little bit north and the Dead Sea um, territories to the west of that. This shows you the reign of uh, first Saul, then David, then Solomon. And that's a larger territory than the nation of Israel has today. This is another outline of Solomon's territory, but this does not show that he is reigning to the ends of the earth. So we're just reiterating that Jesus will reign 
the nation of Israel will have a territory and it will have boundaries and there will be other nations, but Jesus' dominion, he will reign over all nations to the ends of the earth. And then this is also another outline of the boundaries of Israel. This is based on the description in Ezekiel. And this is up there to show you where the temple is. And it's hard to see, but there is a little yellow square, which is actually not little, it's a very large space. Um, and that's where the temple, this temple, Ezekiel's temple, which I call it Ezekiel's temple because it's described in the book of Ezekiel, but it's Jesus' temple. It's the Lord's house, the millennial temple. And here's a picture of someone's um, version of it. And I really love this picture because of the water feature. Ezekiel says that there will be a river of living water flowing out from under the throne from within the Holy of Holies. And it flows out and then it grows into a stream and it grows into a river and then it flows into the sea. So there's a lot of water situation going on that's new and different from what exists right now. <clears throat> but I do love this illustration of the Millennial Temple and the how they've uh, shown water around the, the place. This is a holy place. It will be sacred. And no one can enter as just random stranger, walk in. There are rules. It will be known as a holy place. So that's the background now. And we're gonna look at the description of the king of the millennium based on the Psalms that we've been studying so far. So here we go. Psalm two says, as for me, the Lord says, as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron. You will shatter them like earthenware. And Psalm 2.12 says, do homage to the sun. So the list that we've uh, got from Psalm 2 is that the king, Jesus, is God's son. God has installed him. He's placed him, established him. He's given him the throne. He has appointed him as king. Number three, he will reign to the ends of the earth. Number four, the king will crush his enemies, and these enemies are the ones who rise up against him. Now, when Jesus returns to the earth at the Battle of Armageddon, he's crushing his enemies. During the millennial kingdom, during his reign, if there are those who rise up against him, he will subdue them. They will yield to the power and authority of King Jesus. And number five, honor and adoration is due to him. We have seen verses in our study, I remember last week and this week, where nations are streaming to Jerusalem. The people are flowing to Jerusalem to worship him, to listen to him, to honor him, to bring him gifts. So that's a few things that we learned from Psalm 2 about the king of the millennium. Psalm 21 tells us some things about the king. 
verse 3 through 5 say, For you meet him with the blessings of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you place upon him. So this psalm tells us the king will receive rich blessings from the Lord. And I want to pause and say, I love this. Now, Jesus, as a man, God-man on earth during his life, I know he was blessed by the Lord, but he endured suffering and persecution and pain and hostility. And he didn't have his own home and people took care of him. God blessed him. But this is saying God's going to give him the blessing of good things, rich blessings. He will have the honor and the life and the goodness that he truly deserves, which he didn't have when he walked on the earth when he came to begin with. Number two, the Lord will set a crown of fine gold on his head. And number three, splendor and majesty belong to him. Again, he was not given splendor and majesty and honor and adoration when he was here. People were in awe of him, but he was rejected. He was despised. He will be treated and honored and loved and worshiped as he should be during the millennial kingdom. Psalm 22 also gives us some information. It says, all the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. So we learn from Psalm 22 that all the earth will bow before him. All the earth, everyone will bow before him. And all the prosperous will worship him. The prosperous will know that their prosperity is not of their own doing. Their prosperity comes from the blessing of his reign and what he is bringing about on earth, making the ground fruitful and the trees and the flowers and um, productivity and whatever is good is because he is reigning and all of his goodness is overflowing. Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You need to hear Jesus making that statement. Jesus is saying, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So goodness and loving kindness will be the characteristic of his reign. It's who he is. I mean, it's just so good to think about how good Jesus is. And this is loving kindness, hesed, his faithfulness that continues as he is ruling the world from Jerusalem. Number two, he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the house, the temple. He will always be king. Psalm 24 is one of those exciting psalms. It says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up your heads, you everlasting doors. In the um, illustration down on the ground here, the Millennial Temple, there are a lot of gates and doors. And these are the places where the people will gather. So lift up your heads, 
and what's going to happen? Lift up your heads that the King of glory may come in. He is coming and he is coming into his temple and the place of his throne. So Psalm 24 tells us that he is the King of glory. And the second one, he is strong and mighty in battle. Once you know the strength of a force of an army, when you really understand that, if a, an invading army or a, a rebelling army would wisely say, you know, I don't need to fight them because I'm going to lose. And that's the situation. They will know Jesus is powerful. Don't go up against him. He is strong and mighty in battle. There will be peace during the millennial kingdom. Psalm 45 is another wonderful messianic psalm that tells us so much about the king. We spent a lot of time with this one right before Christmas. So from Psalm 45, there's so many verses. I'm just going to read the list and remind you that it tells us the king is handsome. His speech is full of grace. God has blessed him forever. He is victorious for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. His scepter, his rule is one of uprightness. What he does is right. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. And Psalm 45 helps us see that the king is the bridegroom and his bride is the church. And the church will reign with him. Again, the church returns, glorified bodies, saints coming with him from heaven to reign, to serve, to minister to the mortals. That's my best word. If you want to, I don't know if you've got another way you'd like to refer to the people who are alive during the millennial kingdom who have not gone into heaven at rapture. So we will serve and teach and minister to and be a part of the ministry of the king's kingdom. Psalm 69, we looked at very recently, and it says, For your sake I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. Zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach thee have fallen on me. So this is just reminding us that the king has borne reproach for the sake of the Lord. He did that. We will remember, we will honor him and thank him. And the king has zeal for the house of the Lord. He did when he was here first, and he will when he comes back. And then we spent a lot of time in Psalm 72 over this past week and today discussing that. So from Psalm 72, we can gather these details. He reigns with the justice of God. He judges God's people with righteousness and justice. The king defends the cause of the poor. So there will still be some poor people who are needy. And he will help. Number four, he gives deliverance to the needy. Number five, he crushes the oppressor. Number six, he's like rain watering the earth. 
I hope you understood that through our discussion as you um, considered that statement about him. It's a good thing. <laughs> we need rain. Number seven, in his reign, the righteous flourish and peace abounds. His name will endure forever. And people will be blessed in him. It is knowing Christ, knowing and being in him that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1, 3. It will be the same then to know him to yield, to know him as Savior, as Lord, God, and King, that's where the blessing comes. And then, we haven't gotten to it yet, but when we get to Psalm 110, it says, verses 2 through 4, The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy array, from the womb of the dawn, the youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So, when Jesus reigns as king in the millennial kingdom, he is king and priest, and that will be for the first time ever. There has never been a king who also has the role of the high priest, but Jesus is that. He has, well, he hasn't earned it. It was declared by God, by Father God, that he would be the priest. So that's what Psalm 110 is telling us. So that was a quick review of Psalms that we've seen that will capture the character of the king of the millennium and now you have a handout with a, a chart, and we're just going to read through this to begin to wrap our minds around how fascinating and wonderful the Millennial Kingdom is. I'm going to click next just to keep this pretty picture up while we're thinking about it, of the Millennial Temple that exists for a thousand years and Jesus reigns from the Millennial Temple in Jerusalem. On your chart, the character of the Millennial Kingdom, it says the duration is 1,000 years and you see you get that from Revelation 20 verses 2 through 5. That number is repeated several times in that passage. It is a theocratic rule. God will rule in the person of Jesus Christ on the throne of David. King David reigns as a prince under Christ. Wow. I'm like, just stop right there and think about that. We're going to be hanging out with King David and seeing him uh, rule in his best days under the authority of Jesus Representative rule. The 12 apostles will represent Christ ruling over the 12 tribes. Church age and tribulation saints will represent Christ ruling over the Gentiles. So there is uh, there's a government. There is order. There is structure. Then universal rule. Christ's rule will extend both spiritually and literally over the entire earth. I think that we have uh, brought this point home. He's ruling to the ends of the earth. The seat of government is the earthly Jerusalem. It will be restored 
blessed and greatly expanded to serve as the seat of government and worship. What's the global environment? The heavens and earth will be renewed to restore the creation to Eden-like conditions and repair the damage from man's long reign of abuse and the judgments of the tribulation period. The tribulation has a lot of disasters that are coming upon the earth. And so there needs to be some remodeling of nature, the land, the seas. The, uh, that's what's going to happen. God is going to, what does it say? Restore. And I'm looking for Ezekiel 38, I believe or 36, 36, um, where it says that it's going to be like the Garden of Eden at that time. That's not on your list, but it is a really good place that I can't find right now. But Ezekiel tells us it's going to be so good. Still looking up. Well, you look for it in Ezekiel 34, 35, 36 where it's described as the Garden of Eden. And that's where this uh, Eden-like conditions come up. The populace, the people, resurrected and glorified saints will rule in the midst of Christ's brothers, who are the faithful Jewish remnant. Christ's brothers, the faithful Jewish remnant, those are the Jews who have survived the tribulation. How did they survive? 144,000 had the seal on them, so they survive, and others who God protects and it says they enter the kingdom to form its initial population. Children will be born to those who enter the kingdom in their natural bodies. Okay, I said mortal, so natural body, mortal body. There will be those who survive the tribulation, who yield to Jesus as their savior. When he returns, all Israel will know him as the one whom they pierced. They will remember that the nation of Israel rejected Jesus and he's the one. They will yield themselves to him. What about the curse? Many aspects of the curse will be reversed. People will live to a great age, but death will still occur. As before the flood, animals will revert to vegetarianism and will no longer fear man. Living waters will flow from beneath the sanctuary of the Millennial Temple, bringing life to the regions that they water. So many aspects of the curse will be reversed. As I've mentioned, those who are born still are born with a sin nature. Satan is locked up for these thousand years, so he's not wreaking havoc, but the impact of sin that happened as a result of Adam and Eve's sin and the, the curse then upon the land, there's a little bit of effect of that, but Jesus is um, making things better. He will heal. He will do miracles for those who are sick during that time. His miracles that he performed when he walked on the earth were an indication that he is the Messiah. He's the king. He's the one that they were expecting to come and be king. Those miracles then were evidence of his millennial kingdom and what he can do. So life is going to be so much better and so beautiful and wonderful during the millennial kingdom. Productivity. The earth will be fruitful and men will enjoy the fruit of their labors. 
Mount Zion. The region of Mount Zion will be lifted up to form the mountain of the Lord's house. And we talked about the mountains last week regard when we were looking at Psalm 68. So there are topographical changes to the entire earth. Probably some things that happened during the tribulation. There are earthquakes that are changing the topography. And then when Jesus returns and stands on the Mount of Olives, there is a tremendous earthquake and change and split of mountains. And somehow God is going to elevate Mount Zion and Israel will have a, a few different things going on. And the rivers and the Dead Sea will not be the Dead Sea anymore. They're going to be fresh waters flowing there and fresh fish and fishing happening in the Dead Sea. Israel will finally inhabit the promised land permanently. She will serve as the focal point of the nations because Jesus will reign from Jerusalem. And there will be peace. All implements of war will be destroyed in favor of implements of productivity. They will beat their swords into plowshares and pruning hooks, that kind of thing. Nations will no longer go to war. Disagreements between nations will be judged by Christ from Jerusalem. These days, the Nobel Peace Award is given to those who are bringing about peace or what seems to be some kind of peace. Uh, nobody's going to award Jesus the peace. He, he is the one who gives peace. He will do it. I, I, the reason I say nobody's going to award Jesus peace is because there's not a power that's going to be greater than him to give it to him. He is the power. He is the prince of peace. So he will be handling peace around the world. Worship. A temple will stand in Jerusalem and all the nations will go up to Jerusalem to the Feast of Tabernacles. Sacrificial offerings will be resumed. Ezekiel talks about that. Other passages talk about sacrifices being made. So in the temple that's described in the book of Ezekiel, an altar is described. And I did create a little, um, it'll be a big altar, but I created one there. Sacrificial offerings are made. The demonic realm. As I mentioned, Satan will be bound in the abyss and demons will be imprisoned. I really don't know what this means when it says in the regions of Babylon and Edom, but Satan is bound and demons are not loose. They are imprisoned. And then language, the curse of Babel, the introduction of varied languages, that's the curse of Babel. That will be reversed. All the earth will have one language. Zephaniah 3, 8 through 12. That would be fun to see how it puts that Zephaniah. No, you have to know where those minor prophets are. Zephaniah 3, 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. For then I will give to the people's purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him. 
shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings. In that day you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud, exulting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain." But I will leave among you a humble. I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> Let's look at this paragraph that is by MacArthur, and we'll close with this. Imagine a world dominated by righteousness and goodness. A world where there is no injustice, where no court ever renders an unjust verdict, where everyone is treated fairly. Imagine a world where what is true, right, and noble marks every aspect of life, including interpersonal relations, commerce, education, and government. Imagine a world where there is complete, total, enforced, and permanent peace where joy abounds and good health prevails, so much so that people live for hundreds of years. Imagine a world where the curse is removed, where the environment is restored to the pristine purity of the Garden of Eden, where peace reigns even in the animal kingdom so that the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and young lion and fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Imagine a world ruled by a perfect, glorious ruler who instantly and firmly deals with sin. Humanly speaking, that description may, be, may seem far-fetched, a utopian fantasy that can never be reality, yet it accurately describes conditions during the future earthly kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a dream. It's not fantasy. It is our future because Jesus is king. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. That is exciting, and we have got such good times to look forward to. Oh, blessed be the Lord God from everlasting to everlasting. He has put this plan together. He is working it out, and uh, we get to know Jesus as our king today and live under his reign of peace and love and righteousness today. Enjoy it and submit to it and tell others about it and how good the future is going to be if they know him and yield to him. That's all for today. I am Elizabeth Ficken. Thanks for studying the Bible with me.